Chapter Fifty Six of the Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Headless Horseman: A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter Fifty Six: A Shot at the Devil. All night long the invalid lay awake, at times tranquil, at times giving way to a paroxysm of unconscious passion. All night long the hunter sate by his bedside, and listened to his incoherent utterances. They but confirmed two points of belief already impressed upon Zeb's mind that Louise Poindexter was beloved, that her brother had been murdered. The last was a belief that, under any circumstances, would have been painful to the backwoodsman. Coupled with the facts already known, it was agonizing. He thought of the quarrel, the hat, the cloak, he writhed as he contemplated the labyrinth of dark ambiguities that presented itself to his mind never in his life had his analytical powers been so completely baffled he groaned as he felt their impotence he kept no watch upon the door he knew that if they came it would not be in the night once only he went out but that was near morning when the light of the noon was beginning to mingle with that of the day he had been summoned by a sound. Tara, straying among the trees, had given utterance to a long dismal growl, and come running scared-like into the hut. Extinguishing the light, Zeb stole forth and stood listening. There was an interruption to the nocturnal chorus, but that might have been caused by the howling of the hound. What had caused it? The hunter directed his glance first upon the open lawn, then around its edge and under the shadow of the trees. There was nothing to be seen there except what should be. He raised his eyes to the cliff, that in a dark line trended along the horizon of the sky, broken at both ends by the tops of some tall trees that rose above its crest. There were about fifty paces of clear space which he knew to be the edge of the upper plain terminating at the brow of the precipice. The lines separating the chiaro from the oscuro could be traced distinctly as in the day. A brilliant moon was beyond it. A snake could have been seen crawling along the top of the cliff. There was nothing to be seen there. But there was something to be heard. As Zeb stood listening there came a sound upon the upper plain that seemed to have been produced not far back from the summit of the cliff. It resembled the clinking of a horse's shoe struck against a loose stone. So conjectured Zeb, as with open ears he listened to catch its repetition. It was not repeated, but he soon saw what told him his conjecture was correct. A horse, stepping out from behind the treetops and advancing along the line of the bluff, there was a man upon his back, both horse and man distinctly seen in dark silhouette, against the clear sapphire sky. The figure of the horse was perfect, as in the outlines of a skillfully cast medallion. That of the man could be traced only from the saddle to the shoulders below the limbs were lost in the shadow of the animal through the sparkle of spur and stirrup told that they were there above there was nothing not even the semblance of a head zeb stump rubbed his eyes and looked and rubbed them and looked again it did not change the character of the apparition if he had rubbed them fourscore times he would have seen the same a horseman without a head this very sight he saw, beyond the possibility of disbelieving, saw the horse advancing along the level line in a slow but steady pace, without footfall, 
without sound of any kind, as if gliding rather than walking, like the shifting scene of a cosmorama. Not for a mere instant had he the opportunity of observing the spectral apparition, but a period long enough to enable him to note every detail, long enough to satisfy him that it could be no illusion of the eye, or in any way a deception of his senses. Nor did it vanish abruptly from his view, but slowly and gradually, first the head of the horse, then the neck of the shoulders, then the shape, half ghastly, half grotesque, of the rider, then the hind quarters of the animal, the hips, and last of all, the long tapering tail. Gisophat. It was not surprise at the disappearance of the headless horseman that extorted this exclamation from the lips of Zeb Stump. There was nothing strange about this. The spectacle had simply passed behind the proscenium, represented by the tope of treetops rising above the bluff. Gisophat. Twice did the backwoodsman give utterance to this, his favorite expression of surprise, both times with an emphasis that told of an unlimited astonishment. His looks betrayed it, despite his undoubted courage. A shiver passed through his colossal frame, while the pallor upon his lips was perceptible through their brown priming of tobacco juice. For some time he stood speechless, as if unable to follow up his double ejaculation. His tongue at length returned to him. "'Doggone my cats,' he muttered, but in a very low tone, and with eyes still fixed upon the point where the horse's tail had been last seen. If that air don't whip the whole united crashin, my name ain't Zeblon Stump. The Irish have been right after all. I thought he had dreamed it in his drink. But no, he have seen something. And so have I meself. No wonder the cuss war skiart. I feel just a spell shaky in my own nerves about this time. Gisophat, what can the dearn thing be? What can it be? he continued, after a period spent in silent reflection. Doggone if I can determine one way or the other. Aft he been the only eye in the daylight, and I catta got a good sight on it. Or aft had been a little bit closer. Ha, why mountain I get closer to it? Doggone if I don't have a try, I reckon won't eat me. Not if it air old Nick, and ef it air him, I'll just satisfy myself whether a bullet can go custrut throw his infernal carcage without throwing him out of the saddle. Here you go for a closer acquaintance we the varmint, whatsomever it be. So saying, the hunter stalked off through the trees upon the path that led up to the bluff. He had not needed to go inside for his rifle, having brought that weapon out with him on hearing the howl of the hound. If the headless rider was real flesh and blood, earthly and not of the other world, Zeb Stump might confidently count upon seeing him again. When viewed from the door of the jackalay, he was going direct towards the ravine that permitted passage from the higher level to the bottom lands of the Alamo, as Zeb has started to avail himself of the same path unless the other should meantime change direction or his tranquil pace to a trot or gallop the backwoodsman would be at the head of the pass as soon as he before starting zeb had made a calculation of the distance to be done and the time to do it in his estimate proved correct to a second and an inch as his head was brought nearly on a level with the upland plain he saw the shoulders of the horseman rising above it another step forward and the body was in view 
another, and the horse was outlined against the sky, from hoof to forelock. He stood at a halt. He was standing. As Zeb first came in sight of him, he was fronting towards the cliff, evidently intending to go down into the gorge. His rider appeared to have pulled him up as a measure of precaution, or he may have heard the hunter scrambling up the ravine, or, what was more likely, scented him. For whatever reason he was standing, front face to the spectator. On seeing him thus, Zeb Stump also came to a stand. Had it been many another man, the same might have been said of his hair. And it is not to be denied that the old hunter was at that moment, as he acknowledged himself, a spell shaky, be out the narves. He was firm enough, however, to carry out the purpose that had prompted him to seek that a singular interview which was to discover whether he had to deal with a human being or the devil. In an instant his rifle was at his shoulder, his eye glancing along the barrel, the sights, by the help of a brilliant moonlight, bearing upon the heart of the headless horseman. In another a bullet would have been through it, but for a thought that just then flashed across the brain of the backwoodsman. Maybe he was about to commit murder? At the thought he lowered the muzzle of his piece, and remained for a time undecided. It mount be a man, muttered he, though it don't look like it, air. There ain't room enough for a head under that air Mexican blanket. No how, ef it be a human critter. He have got a tongue, I reckon, though he ain't much o' so a head to hold it in. He'll owe stronger. Ye're out for a pooty laddish ride, ain't ye? Hain't yo forgot to fetch your head, will ye? There was no reply. The horse snorted on hearing the voice. That was all. Looky here, stranger. Old Zeb Stump from the state of Kentucky air individual who now speakin' to ye. He ain't one o' them sort turdy be trifle wi. Don't try to come none o' your damn foolery over this here coon. I wear ye to declare your game. If ye're playin' possum, ye better throw up your hand, or by the jumpin' ye so fat. Ye may lose both your stake and your curds. Speak out now, afore ye gets plugged wi' a piece o' lead. Less response than before. This time the horse, becoming accustomed to the voice, only tossed up his head. Then doggone ye, shouted the hunter, exasperated by what he deemed an insulting silence. Six seconds more and I'll give ye six more, and if ye don't show speech by that time, I'll let drive at your guts. Ef you're but a dimmy, it won't be do any harm. No more will it, I reckon, if ye air the devil. But ef you're a man playing possum, dern me if ye don't deserve to be shot for being such a damned fool. Sing out, he continued with increasing anger. Sing out, I tell ye, ye won't. Then here goes one, two, three, four, five, six, where seven should have come in had the count been continued was heard the sharp crack of a rifle, followed by the sibilation of a spinning bullet. Then the dull thud as the deadly missile buried itself in some solid body. The only effect produced by the shot appeared to be the frightening of a horse. The rider still kept his seat in the saddle. It was not even certain the horse was scared. The clear neigh that responded to the detonation of the rifle had something in it that sounded derisive. For all that, the animal went off at a tearing gallop, leaving Zeb Stump a prey to the profoundest surprise he had ever experienced. After discharging his rifle, he remained upon his knees for a period of several seconds. 
If his nerves were unsteady before the shot, they had become doubly so now. He was not only surprised at the result, but terrified. He was certain that his bullet had passed through the man's heart, or where it should be, as sure as if his muzzle had been held close to the ribs. It could not be a man. He did not believe it to be one, and this thought might have reassured him. But for the behavior of the horse, it was that wild unearthly neigh that was now chilling his blood and causing his limbs to shake as if under an ague. He would have retreated, but for a time he felt absolutely unable to rise to his feet, and he remained kneeling in a sort of stupefied terror, watching the weird form till it receded out of sight far off over the moonlit plain. Not till then did he recover sufficient courage to enable him to glide back down the gorge and on towards the jackalay and not till he was under its roof did he feel sufficiently himself to reflect with any calmness on the odd encounter that had occurred to him it was some time before his mind became disabused of the idea that he had been dealing with the devil reflection however convinced him of the improbability of this though it gave him no clue as to what the thing really was surely muttered he his conjectural form of speech showing that he was still undecided Surely, after all, it can't be a thing o' oh, the t'other world, else I can hearn the cothig o' my bullet. Sartin the lead struck against something solid, and I reckon there's nothing solid in the carcage o' oh, a ghost. Wah! he concluded, apparently resigning the attempt to obtain a solution of the strange physical phenomenon. Let the dern thing slide. One o' two things that air bound to be, either bundle o' rags or old Harry from hell. As he re-entered the hut, the blue light of morning stole in along from them. It was time to awaken Phelim, that he might take his turn by the bedside of invalid. The Connemara man, now thoroughly restored to sobriety, and under the impression of having been a little derelict in his duty, was ready to undertake the task. The old hunter, before consigning his charge to the care of his unskilled successor, made a fresh dressing of the scratches, availing himself of the knowledge that a long experience had given him in the pharmacopoeia of the forest. The nopal was near, and its juice, inspissated into the fresh wounds, would not fail to effect their speedy cure. Zeb knew that in twenty-four hours after its application they would be in process of healing, and in three days entirely psychratized. With his confidence, common to every denizen of the cactus-covered land of Mexico, he dealt defiant as to outdoors, and if a score of them could have been procured upon the instant, he would not have summoned one. He was convinced that Maurice Gerald was in no danger, at least not from his wounds. There was a danger, but that was of a different kind. And now, Mr. Phelim, said he, on making a finish of his surgical operations, we have dud all you can be dud for the outered man, and it air full time to look after the innard. You say there ain't nothing to eat, not so much as a purtati, Mr. Stump, and what's worse, there's nothing to drink, not a drap lift in the whole cabin. And dern yea, that's your fault, cried Stump turning upon the Irishman with a savage scowl that showed equal regret at the announcement. "'Eft hadn't been for you, there war liquor enough to a lastard till the young feller got round again. What's to be dud now?' "'Sowl, Mr. Stump, yez be wrongin' me altogether entirely. That same yez are, 
I hadn't to taste exceptin what came out of the little flask. It was them Indians that emptied the dimijan. Trath was it. Wah, you couldn't got a drink on what were contained in the flask. I know your durn guts too well for that. You must a had a good pull at the t'other too. Be all the saints. Durn your stinkin' saints. Do you s'pose any man of sense believes in such a varmint as them? Well, tain't no use talkin' any more about it. You've sucked up the corn juice, and there's an end to it. There ain't no more to be had in than twenty mile, and we must go without. Be Jesus, but it's bad. Shet your head, dearin ye, and hear what I've got to say. We'll have to go without drinkin'. But that air no reason for stirvin' ourselves for want of something to eat. The young feller, I don't misdoubt, air by this time half starved himself. There's not much on the stomach, I reckon, though there may be on his mind. As for meself, I'm just hungry enough to eat coyote. And I ain't very sure I'd turn away from turkey buzzard, which, as I reckon, would be a wusser, which, as I reckon, would be a wusser victual than coyote. But we ain't obliged to eat turkey buzzard, while there's a chance of getting turkey, and that ain't no dubious along the Alamo. You stay here, and take care of the young feller, whiles I try up the crick, and see if I can come across the gobbler. I'll do that, Mr. Stump, and no mistake, be me trath. Keep your palaver to yourself till I've finished talking to you. Sowl, I won't say a word. Then don't, but listen, there's something about which I don't wait ye to make any mistake. It air this, if there shed anybody stray this way during my absence, ye'll let me know. You mustn't lose a minute of time, but let me know. Sure I will, Sowl. Yes. Well, I'll depend on ye. Trath, yes, may. But how, Mr. Stump? How am I to let yez know? If you're bein' hearin' of me voice, how thin? Well, I reckon I shan't need to go so fur as that. There ought to be gobblers close by at this time of the mornin', and yet they're mountain't, continued Zeb, after reflecting a while. Ye ain't got such a thing as a gun in the shanty, a pistol you do. Neither one nor the toler, the master tuck both away hid him. When he went last time to the settlements, he must have left them thar. It air awkward, I mount not hear ye shout. Zeb, who had by this time passed through the doorway, again stopped to reflect. Hi, he exclaimed after a pause of six seconds. I've got it. I've treed the ID. You see my old mar, teethered out. there on the grass? Sure I do, Mr. Stump. Of course I do. While well, ye see that air prickly cactus plant growing close to the edge of the opening? Faith, yes. Well, that's sensible, oh yeah. Now listen to what I say. You must keep a look out at the door, and if anybody comes up whiles I'm gone, run straight, construct for the cactus, cut off one of its branches, the thorniest you can see, and stick its owner in the mar's tail. Mother o' Moses, for what div ye jes want me to do that? Well, I reckon I'd better explain, said Zeb reflectingly, otherwise you'll be making a mess o' it. You see, fellum, if anybody interlopes during my absence, I had better be here. I ain't a-goin' fur off, but how somediver near. I mountain to hear your screech, therefore the mars'll do better. You clap the cactus under her tail, closed up to the fundament, 
and if she don't squeal loud enough to be hearin by me then you may conclude that this coon air either rubbed out or have both his lungs plugged with picket pins so Philem, do you exactly as i've told you i'll do it be japers be sure now your master's life may depend on it after delivering this last caution the hunter shouldered his long rifle and walked away from the hut he's a cute old chap that same said Philem, as soon as zeb was out of hearing i wonder what ye means by the master being in danger by any one coming to the cabin he said that his life might depend on it yes he said that he told me to cape a lookout i suppose he meant me to begin at once i must go to the entrance then so saying he stepped outside the door and proceeded to make an ocular inspection of the paths by which the jackal might be approached after completing this he returned to the threshold and there took stand in the attitude of one upon the watch End of chapter 56